Hi, my name is Philip, and welcome back to Deep Tide Stories. Ever since the first photovoltaic cell in 1954 by Bell Labs, the basic principle behind the technology stayed the same. Exploiting the photoelectric effect, first explained by Einstein in his miracle year of 1905, a light particle can kick out an electron of a material if it has just the right energy. Through the smart combining of two types of semiconductors, this electron leads to a current in the material, which in the end can be used. Now while over the decades the efficiency of photovoltaics increased a lot, they still rely on the same principle and we only found better materials or ways of engineering. However, Jacinto Saar, professor of physical chemistry at Uppsala University in Sweden and CTO of startup P4 Solar Power, has found another way, which is seemingly independent of the incoming light frequency and can be used for transparent solar cells. The resulting material relies on so-called plasmonics, is only 300 nanometers thin and can be used to power and recharge small devices or dynamic glass. Yeah, and I, I mean, in, in, in principle, the, the original, of course, silicon solar cells is still that. It's, it's this fact that you would have a barrier between uh, differently doped uh, uh, semiconductor, in this case silicon, you create this P and N junction, so electrons will move towards the, the, the N and, and, the, and the hole towards the P, and then, of course, you build a, a current on that. I, I mean, of course, this was a really, really beginning of, 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 uh, of solar cells. It was actually called a solar battery it was from when this was made on, on, um, on the Bell Labs because they, they, um, they, were, they already knew at the time you would have to store the electricity because during the day you would have electricity but not during mm -hmm. the night. Um, I would say what people nowadays, apart from the silicon that we see installed, what is really the research on photovoltaics, I've moved away quite significantly from that. It's still, of course, uh, for most technology except ours, uh, um, uh, a process of, of exciting charges at the, at, um, through a barrier. And, and, and the next generation that came was this so-called thin film technology, so this cadmium telluride and, and six technology, which was the benefit was that they would be made a lot thinner than, than, uh, than the silicon, which generally is quite thick, and that means it's mainly done for really very solid substrates. Um, there, basically, you have a semiconductor, you have a, an energy difference, which is optimized to try to get the most of the solar spectrum, meaning as much as possible, a very narrow uh, band gap, but not too narrow that you don't have a voltage because the band gap in this case is defined, defines the, the open circuit voltage that you would have on the solar cell. The open circuit voltage is, is what exactly? Is, uh, so in a classical semiconductor, if you would be able to extract perfectly the, the charge, would be basically the energy difference between the valence where band where the electrons are and the conduction band where the electrons you're going to put. And you basically, that energy difference is, is, uh, is um, suppressed by the absorption of a photon of light. So once you move the electron to the, to the conduction band, then basically, if you would be able to connect this to a, to an electric circuit and take the charges immediately without any losses, this would be your the voltage that you would get on your solar cell. Okay. And of course, larger voltage requires a, a higher gap, but that would also mean you move it further and further from the, 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 the optical range. So if you would want to have, for example, a three volt uh, um, solar cell, you would only absorb uh, the kind of the UV part of the of the visible range. So the the optimum 
compromise for voltage uh, versus uh, uh, current. So the current then is the amount of charge yep. that you collect um, is is to be around one one point two volts for power generation because then you absorb pretty much all the the visible spectrum and even a little bit of the infrared spectrum. Um, and you, this voltage is then by 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 connecting the things in series can be uh, increased to to the voltage that we get in our uh, appliance or of course on the grid. Um, so that's that that has been the the what the solar cells have been. And of course the 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 materials generally that absorb light don't transport as well uh, the charge. So people have layered this between the materials that would transport slightly better the charge. Mm-hmm. And and I would and 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 in between appeared a different technology that was this so-called disensitized solar cells, which was uh, there you actually use a, a molecular dye, so a, a molecule that absorbs the light, and this injects either an electron or a hole into a transporting layer, and you close the circuit by by an electrolyte. So the, the if it's the electron, the electron goes around the circuit, mm-hmm. and then it's transported back to the dye yep. uh, through an electrolyte. The the latest generation and is where you would put the plasmonics. Uh, the technologies within there is quite different. The reason why they were put together was was because they are supposedly to be easy to produce by low temperature manufacturing, primarily printing type technology. What does printing type mean? Uh, printing type. So you can think of it as a way to like inkjet printing. So you can inkjet print your solar cells. So literally, like a like a printer. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the technologies are quite different. So the, before you have the kind of the solar cell defined by the technology or the generation of the solar cell defined by the technology in the so-called fourth generation you actually have very different technology. So you have the organic photovoltaics, that the active material is an organic material. There is the perovskites, which is an inorganic type or a, a hybrid organic-inorganic material. Mm-hmm. And then you have what we call the plasmonics. And um, and the, and in this case, actually, the, the, the architecture of the cells is quite similar. So we have basically a transporting layer. I always describe it as a sandwich. You have basically two pieces of bread where one will transport the positive charge, the electron, the other one will transport the negative mm-hmm. charge. And then basically in the middle, you put your light absorber. Okay, So that means one of the bread layers will have to be transparent, so the light comes to to, to that side. And that's generally not uh, that difficult to do today um, because they are quite thin. And, and once you, you process, generally that layer becomes transparent. And then the light absorber is basically where you create the charge. And you create the charge by absorbing the light. Again, if it's a, a band gap type material like the organic photovoltaic and the perovskites, you create an electron and a hole. Mm-hmm. They get transferred to the, um, through, the, um, through the transporting layers and then they go to the circuit and they basically close the circuit. Also here, if you remove all the losses, the, the, the voltage is defined by the, by the light absorber. So the gap of the light absorber. And, and I, I would say that this is not too dissimilar, even if the materials are completely different from the, 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 the thin film technology. The biggest difference is really that most of these materials can be processed from kind of a solution base. So that means you can start printing them. And, and, and that, of course, has significant implications for, for cost and also reproducibility, mm-hmm. but also that the fact that you use less sophisticated uh, type uh, instrumentation and also generally 
relatively low temperature manufacturing. So the 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 type of 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 um, thin films generally you would talk about fairly high temperature for for manufacturing some of these things and silicon for example is extremely high temperature to get the crystalline yeah. silicon. Um, this is generally below two hundred degree manufacturing, so it's it's really fairly low temperature, but it's still a band gap type material. So the plasmonics is really completely different. So this is the only material that doesn't have a gap. And this is always makes it quite interesting when I am try to explain even to solar cell people, how does this work? Because they are so geared up to know that it is a gap that defines you the voltage that, um, that, that it of course makes it kind of puzzling. How can you make from a material that you don't have a gap, uh, you create the voltage. And it starts a little bit with the fact that while all the other materials, you really have this gap, and this gap is what you're going to uh, use to absorb light. So once you reach the exact energy of that gap, one electron will be promoted to the connection yep. band. And that means that once you go higher in energy, all the excess energy is immediately dissipated as, as heat. So you lose quite a lot of energy in the process of creating uh, carriers on the on the band gap material um unless you're really just shining light that perfectly matches that 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 band gap no plasmonic doesn't do light absorption this way so it's basically is a metallic structure it's a nanomaterial which means the electrons are all confined within a certain geometry but once you bring light in in in, in close contact to them these electrons that are on the outer shells will start resonating, meaning they they have they, you can move them into different uh, position in the electronic into empty states, but within the the material, and it does this coherently, meaning it follows the the kind of oscillation of the electric field of the light. Mm -hmm. So once you're doing this, the electrons start basically oscillating, and they are doing this coherent. Like in a water pool where you just push on one side and all the water yes, keeps on yes. oscillating. Exactly that. It's exactly that. Um, but of course, as this moves, uh, the light moves away, then of course you still have all this energy that you put now into the into the material. Um, and they will, of course, lose coherence because you no longer have the electric field to force that coherence. Um, and so the question is, how are they going to lose this energy? So one of the possible mechanisms is that you do elastic collision of the electrons with the boundaries of the particle. And in that process, that energy that was initially collectively shared by all the electrons will be transferred to individual uh, charged particles. Mm -hmm. And that leads to the formation of what we call hot carriers. So you form hot electrons that are promoted into a high energy level and basically hot holes deeper into the uh, into the occupied states of the of the gold uh, of the sorry of the plasmonic um so the question is of course uh, now you have the carriers and you have there's still a lot of debate of what is the limit of the energy of the carriers uh, a lot of people say that at least you can consider that an electron can carry the entire energy of a photon and that means you take an electron just below the, the Fermi level all the way up. But it also means that an electron can be promoted. If you can quickly explain what the, the Fermi level is. Yeah, so the Fermi level is the position at which you stop having electrons. So after that, you just have empty places to put electrons, but there is no electrons. So in order that you promote an electron, it has to be below the Fermi level. But 
you have electrons all the way down from the Fermi level all the way to the nucleus. So these valence electrons can have very different energies. So you can promote an electron very close to the Fermi level, it would mean all the way up to the energy of that photon, or you can pick an electron much deeper, but much farther away from the Fermi level, which means the total energy difference between the hole that you create deeper uh, underneath the, the Fermi level and the high energy that you can put an electron can be, uh, um, at least people believe, of, of two times the energy of the photon. Because the plasmon absorbs a lot more light. So the, the, the light absorption of a plasmon for very conservative people, they say 10 times more. Mm -hmm. Some people say a thousand times more than things. So that it bends the light towards this, this nanomaterial and it has this very strong resonance. So which means that you can now have charge that you actually is excited and you can take it out, which can have a very high um, energy, meaning a high voltage. But if you would just do this and basically put this in, into a, an electric contact, you would still struggle to see any uh, current or voltage. And this is simply because this happens extremely fast. So this happens in a region of less than 100 femtoseconds. So if you don't take the charges out through a material that are good accepting material, mm. they will just recombine and produce enormous amount of heat, actually. Uh, at the surface, you can get heat at least of 500 oh, degrees C. So it's, it's an extremely, very short, a very short time, so it will happen only for a thing, but it's very, very hot surfaces. That's also why it got the name a little bit of hot carriers, yeah. you know. So yeah. it's... Uh, so... Um, so what we then do is we, we have to basically use the same concept as the organic photovoltaics or perovskites, layer this in between two transporting materials. And it's actually the transporting materials that will define the voltage. So when I say to people or when we're talking to customers and we ask them, what kind of voltage are you looking for and what kind of current? And they are not uh, completely independent. If you want high voltage, you want to put materials that have uh, accepting, let's say, uh, orbitals quite far apart from each other, mm -hmm. but you sacrifice the amount of current that you're gonna you're gonna produce because th those are really picking the hottest possible carriers that you have, and you have very few of those. Um, but if you say, okay, I can live with less voltage, but I would like to have more current, then basically you you lower the energy difference between the transporting materials. And therefore, you're going to collect a lot more electrons because they are uh, the, the, the an, an average kind of energy of an electron is it lives for a bit longer and it's in much higher concentration than an extreme uh, case of the hot ones. Yep. So our open circuit voltage is actually defined by the transporting layers and means that we need transporting layers to make a photovoltaic. You wouldn't need that from a physics concept for an organic photovoltaic or, or a perovskite. Okay. You, you, you use it to make it more efficient, but you, you would have a, a current and an open circuit directly from the material, and any band gap material would give you that. We don't have a gap. We have to use transporting layers to, to create you the voltage. And then your, your solar cells, they are transparent currently, or you're aiming for yeah. them to be transparent. Yes, um, yes. Which, which begs the question, what... Like, how can something be transparent to begin with? Yes. So, so transparency is, of course, sometimes also mixed for, for colorless. And our, our solar cells are transparent and colorless, despite absorbing on the visible range. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's really a, a magic trick. 
Now, this comes down to the fact that transparency generally is achieved by making things very thin and by, of course, not having things that interfere too much with the light. So, so, so it means you can see through things. That's what defines transparency. Uh, and, and other technologies can achieve this. For example, you can make extremely thin organic photovoltaics that will give you some level of transparency so you can easily see through. But they will have a strong color because they are uh, absorbing on the visible and, and, and therefore they will have a color. Now, we also absorb in the visible. But then you use the other property of plasmonics that is this extremely high light absorption capability. So it's like I told you, it's people say 10 times more. Some people say a thousand times more which means that for, in theory, to get the same amount of current and voltage out, you can use 10 times less material. And that's what we use basically to create a transparent colorless uh, solar cell. We also looking for applications where the, a little bit of color would be uh, important. And so the, the, the trick here is you, you layer the materials, but instead of making a compact layer of plasmon, which would you do when you do OPVs and, and, and perovskites, so organic photovoltaics and perovskites. You basically use almost, I, I, I describe it the difference between having a full layer of ham or just having a sprinkle of, of uh, pepper. So we sprinkle our, our nanoparticles, meaning there will be a lot of places that there is no light absorbing material. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this immediately means that you're limiting the, the, the amount of current and voltage that you can generate because you're, you're uh, or especially current, because you, you're putting so little amount of light absorber. And that became immediately a kind of, uh, um, I would say, the, the selling point of the technology because to make it as, as, a, as what we consider a solar cell to put in the roof to produce power and things like this, really power is the most important metric you have to produce a lot for as little as possible. Um, luckily, and, and I think when we started this was maybe not as obvious, but there is a lot of things that we can use with solar cells that is not directly powered to the grid, for example, or power to storage, but to use the power directly. And this is this idea of, of energy harvesting technology that you, you don't need a lot of power, but you're basically producing the energy and using it directly on the device. And, and of course, ultimately, you could think you can put this in your mobile phone or on your or smart watch, but we are not yet there in the power. But, but what became obvious is that this level of transparency allows you to integrate things into commonly used devices, producing already some of the power, if not all the power that they need. Uh, so then they can reduce the size of the batteries or extend the lifetime of the batteries. So, for example, for for mobiles and wearables, you would not remove the battery. You would want to make sure that you can wear your smartwatch for a full week without charging, mm. for example. So, so that's more the, the the thing. So, and and you, I would say it 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 happened a little bit as a joke. It's every time I tell this, people think I'm making up the story, but it's not. It really was that there was a huge debate. I mean, we have initially proved that you could extract electrons from, from, from plasmonics, but of course, to make a photovoltaic, you have also to extract the positive charge, the, the hole. Yep. And, and, and people said, oh, this will always be difficult because the holes have a lot less mobility. And, and there was many, let's say, arguments to say that this will not happen. So it did took us a good 
three years to prove that actually this is possible. And I mean, you, uh, and then when we proved this, we thought, wow, it's going to be great. People will just uh, finally be converted to plasmonics and said, yeah, but if you take the holes, you cannot take the electrons. And I was like, so talking actually to my colleagues here from the photovoltaics, they, they said, yeah, I mean, if you're taking both out, then you put them in a solar cell type structure. And if you see a current, then you have to be taking both them out because otherwise the, you wouldn't be able to sustain the solar cell for very long. Um, and that's what we did. And, and, and of course we weren't planning to do photovoltaic. So we didn't even try to make a very good photovoltaic. We just wanted to put actually very little <laughs> material there so we could see thing. And, and immediately what that the guy that tested said, he said, you know, I've never seen something so transparent and so colorless. And you still have an effect here. I mean, it's not very high, but you still have an effect no. here. You know, you should really look into this. And and I would say this now has been three and a half years. At that time, I really didn't thought I would be here. Uh, I never really even considered ever starting a company, even less working in photovoltaics. So, so it's it's um, and and it 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 very quickly became clear that what people really got impressed on was the level of transparency and and colorless. Because they see, they saw a lot of applications that that we cannot do with any other technology. Like for example, this thing with dynamic glass that you power directly the glass to do the shading that you control the light and the heat that gets into buildings. Mm -hmm. These e-papers that you get on the supermarkets that now you have these smart tags that change automatically. But of course, they would drain the battery extremely quickly if you if you do it. Um, and and of course, the IoT sensors that people. Yeah actually had this exponential growth of, of, of deployment of, of uh, IoT sensors. And then about two, three years ago, you start seeing a slightly decrease. And, and people thought, this is strange because this should just keep relentless. And they just realized that people that installed the first device three, four years ago now are, are dealing with replacing batteries and actually not just replacing them physically, which is costly and, and, and labor intensive, but actually what to do with all these batteries and realizing that if we're going from 50 billion sensors to 200 billion sensors in, in two or three years, what are you going to do with all these million batteries that you replace every day? There was some study that uh, they calculated that for the uh, for all the batteries that you would need for electric vehicles in 2023, it would consume 15% of the worldwide lithium. Um, so you, you naturally end up at a point, okay, A, we can't yeah. continue producing those lithium-ion type batteries. And B, we need the ones we have, we need to keep continue using as, as much as we yeah. can. Yeah, and, and for example, what one thing that we can eventually enable, maybe currently because of the way that uh, the communication and, and the type of voltage that you need for IoTs are generally around 3.3 volts, it's difficult to replace the battery. So we have a rechargeable battery that is continuously being charged, so you don't need to replace it. And you can run it for, for 10 years, uh, which we hope that is, uh, which is the lifetime kind of the sensors. You you would also mm. want to replace those sensors maybe every every seven, eight years, because they, of course, become obsolete. What is the um, lifetime determined by? Is it those, those hotspots for the few femtoseconds with, with 500 degrees? No, or? Uh, so, so the lifetime of, of, of the solar cell is actually more determined by, 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 the, by the charge transporting materials, because some to make to, for it to be done in a very low temperature, sometimes we have to use um, organic transporting layers. 
so organic polymers, and they don't tend to have a very long lifetime. Of course, if you put this inside the house where you have less exposure to UV and you don't have very huge changes in humidity levels and so on, or, or aggressive humidity levels, they tend to survive longer. But basically, I mean, we are trying to make sure that our technology survives as long as the technology you are integrating it in. So if in most of the IoT sensors, it also makes sense that maybe every 10 years you replace them because you have better communication, cheaper, uh, in a sense, energy consumption with the new developments. Mm -hmm. But as the, as the voltage is coming down, which is coming down relatively fast, and there's a big drive because lower voltage means low power consumption, um, the the you can ha you enter into that situation that you can go from a, a battery into for example a supercapacitor and then you are out of the lithium anymore and and means you enable a technology that now because it's on the limit of the voltage because the, the supercapacitors will discharge if you're not if you're not supplying some energy to it uh, and of course during the night in most places yep. there will not be light and therefore think but you can use those supercapacitors and charge them during the day. And, and, and if the voltage is not there on the limit, of course, they will discharge a little bit over the night, but next day you, you will recharge them again and they will never get to the point that you've fully discharged that you cannot uh, power the, the thing. So, so that, that eventually we will even be able to replace altogether the batteries that you have there that now are rechargeable batteries. But so now our target is really uh, aiming at, at, at uh, increasing the lifetime of, of, of the batteries. If you're talking about more wearable type things, so that you still have a battery, but you want to make sure you wear your, your smart device for much longer than, than having to charge it every day. Reducing the size of battery, for example, on the IoTs. So if we don't need really such a large battery, so it stays there for 10 mm -hmm. years. Um, and, and making sure that the device is working continuously until its its lifetime. Uh, if the lifetime is 10 years, then it's 10 years. If the lifetime is five years, it's five years. It's uh, It shouldn't be the solo cell that determines that. It has to be the technology. So e-papers, generally, they also say between seven to eight years. Um, then they would also replace it because the ink starts on the e-paper starts getting damaged. So that's what we, we are targeting. Yeah. Um, when you re when you would replace it or when you replace it, what happens with with the waste or the, the old the old solar cell? So we, we of course we are we are not yet at that yep. point. But but what I should say is our solar cell is extremely thin. So this this is very 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 thin. So its total thickness of our solar cells is less than three hundred nanometers. So so it's just to give you an idea, that's about a hundred to two hundred times thinner than your hair. Most of the material we, we have is conductive, conductive glass or conductive plastic or whatever substrate you're using to put your solar cell. And that, of course, has some level of, of recyclability also for the other technologies. So we use the same type of, of, uh, of conductive glass. The other layers we use are of uh, an oxide that is very popular. In, we have it in even our own butter that is titanium oxide. So this, of course, has a very high level of, 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 of recovery. So you can leach it out and, and things. Then, of course, comes the part of the plasmonics and um, potentially this organic transporting layer. Um, the organic transporting layer, I would say, once it's damaged, you, you would have to burn it. You would have to really just, just convert it into CO2. Okay. Um, but the, the, and these are generally polymers really containing primarily carbon. They, they don't really contain anything else than, than carbon and maybe a little bit of oxygen. Um, 
the 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 plasmonic is a metallic structure in our case it's silver because silver so all metals have a plasmonic resonance so it's not that you 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 silver is the only thing you can use the only difference is there is the the the, the resonance is determined by the sh- the size and the shape and the type of metal you have and what this means is where do you absorb on the light spectrum uh, depends on the metal that mm-hmm. you have and and the reason why you would see on the application size of plasmonic being mentioned gold, silver, copper, and, and aluminium is because these are the elements that the resonance follows within the, the, the visible range or the optical range that we have more. So if you talk, for example, about platinum, that's in a very deep UV, almost X-ray. So yes, you can do studies of plasmonic resonance on those metals, but from an application point of view, we don't have that kind of type of radiation readily available to use. Um, and and from a coefficient of quality, uh, silver is actually much better than all the other ones, silver and, and aluminium. Aluminium, the biggest problem is it's quite uh, reactive and it's quite unstable. Mm. So it's it's very difficult to have metallic aluminium stable in a nanoform uh, for a long time. So, so But silver is the best metal that absorbs on the visible. So we use very little of it, but this should be totally recyclable. I mean, this is, I mean, people have done this, for example, on normal catalysts where they they coat very small nanoparticles. I have my background in Catel, so of, on some kind of oxide, and then they just basically do an acid treatment and leach out the, the metal and recover the metal. So so it's, it should be possible to do, to do so. But, I mean, at the moment, of course, I would say that the largest amount of material that you have is the glass or the or the conductive plastic or so on that you use as a substrate. Okay. This is ninety five percent of the of the material you you have in the total cell. So, and that that I would say also for other technologies is is completely recyclable. I would say the the one thing that has been very much at the core of the company and has been really guided a lot of the research is we don't use anything that is toxic or uh, that has some kind of limit on it um, and and that is uh, has slowed down a lot on the development because for example some of the organic polymers there is solvents that you can easily make uh, the 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 inks that you're going to print but they are not very sustainable uh, uh, solvents. So we, we've been trying to use as much as possible water-based uh, solvents. Uh, so so all our materials except the organic polymers are, are formulated in water, uh, which also no. <laughs> are quite tricky to do. But 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 I think in 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 down the road it, it this will pay back. It's 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 a, a lot better to to have this on this uh, on this of course in water. No. But of course, the organic polymers, a lot of them, of course, are completely insoluble in, in, in water. And, and so we try to use organic solvents that are a lot more uh, friendly so that they have no toxicity and, and also that are easy to process and not create a lot of vapor and mm-hmm. so on. Because uh, eventually we want to make the manufacturing in, in fairly standard lab conditions. I mean, you don't need a clean room or anything to produce. We make this in our own lab without any special environment. Um, and we want to do this for for cost wise. Of course, non specialized environment is good for for costs, but also because we the company itself wants to develop what we call a kind of a Coca Cola type model that you make the syrup and you sell the recipe out to make, and you basically bottle as many as you want in your customer. Yep. 
side. So, so, and this is very much what we we've been working now. It's it's to try to establish a, a transferable uh, manufacturing process again. Having things on, on on normal lab conditions, maybe some of our customers have kind of clean room type environments, but some don't. Um, and something that is relying on on I would say fairly low cost uh, uh, manufacturing like printing uh, um, will of course help a lot because then you can have just an assembly line. We sell the formulation for our inks and the know how, uh, um, and they can produce as much as they want. And and this as Again, it's it's a process, but but it, it resonated a lot, especially when we start dealing with with large customers, because no matter how cool <laughs> they think it is, and no matter how interesting it is, they will always look like how is this little startup in Sweden gonna supply the world, keep up yeah. with the demand. Um, and and when we told them this, they were really very excited because then they realized that there is a plan to to increase production without us necessarily building a massive factory and so yeah. on to do the production of that. So that's that's where we we basically uh, go in towards uh, and, and developing this kind of transferable manufacturing process. When you say a little startup, was that the the big companies that want to use it, um, yeah. did they reach out to you per se on their own or did you approach them it's, on conferences? It's or? both. It, it's both. Uh, so some technologies, uh, some some companies are really looking for a technology like this. So when they they see us either on fairs or more recently, of course, through our kind of marketing uh, campaigns, they reach out to us because they they are being uh, actively looking for those. So so um, other ones is more that we 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 approach them and 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 luckily or or, or we we've been very successful in in attracting a lot of them and and. And some already validated the technology, so we are moving more towards now the discussion. What would be the product, and what would be? You have this kind of uh, different steps depending which type of of product you're talking about. So, the IoT ultimately we want to be a solo cell company, meaning we don't want to make sensors, we don't want to integrate sensors, we don't want to deal with the cloud, and so on. But to create demand, we have actually made our own array of sensors and powered it and installed it with a real estate company and demonstrated that all of this works. Because then you want to say our customers, in a sense, will be most likely either really companies that have a device like an e-ink and they want to integrate the production of both. Um, like uh, ink, it's like a kind of an e-paper type mm. thing. So it's uh, elect this electron display type paper. So you put it together, um, and then basically you you integrate this, and you just uh, uh, have the device with the power built in. But most likely, the, the 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 clients for us are really the the big substrate manufacturers because for them, uh, for example, we have a partnership with a glass uh, uh, company, uh, one of the large ones in the world. They say glass is very cheap. Once you put any layer on top of it that is different from your competitors, you can make a lot more money. So, so they, 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 but they of course need to know that there is a demand, for example, on the IoTs, and at the moment there is not a recipe for this. So it has there's the 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 real estates, which is the final customer, or or even the, your end user, ours ourselves that we put it in our own houses. We're too far away from where this is being produced. So. So we have to show that the real estates are interested and we have to show that the, the, the sensor integrators and manufacturers are interested. So then they see 
yes, we can produce thousands of units without needing to specifically sell to one company yep. because if you create a demand there, other ones, like I said, things like, like e-papers and so on, it's a lot simpler because most likely the manufacturer of the e-paper is also the one that will manufacture the solar cell. So because they will sell basically the e-paper already with the power. Um, so you're talking about things like the Kindles and so on. Um, and then you have also this situation with, for example, the dynamic class. The dynamic class are companies that already have, I would say, technology very close to us in terms of, of what they are using to manufacture the dynamic class, what, what which most likely class? would like to take their own <coughs> production in-house in also, because it's some of the machinery is very close to what we are using. Uh, what is dynamic class? So dynamic class is this type of class that you, when you apply a small bias, you get uh, either increase or decrease transparency. Oh, yes, yeah, okay, we had it before. Uh, yeah, so, I remember. <laughs> so, um, and um, and there is different type of technologies. So, so uh, the the lowest energy one is is called electrochromic glass. So it's really uh, two semiconductors with an electrolyte, and you charge the electrolyte, and this will charge one of the layers and make that layer darker. Yep. Uh, and and. And there is, of course, the point of controlling light, but it's, it's been proven actually that you can, in the States, for example, on the Sun Belt, they, 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 they have demonstrated that you can decrease between 20 to 30% the amount of uh, energy for cooling and heating the house because you have a much higher control on the amount of heat mm -hmm. and, 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 and cold that gets into the house. Um, so there, is, there will be a big push for this type of technology in the coming years because there is... Uh, you know, buildings account for 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 nearly thirty percent of, of of all the CO two emissions, and and they will have to be retrofitted not only with digital solutions and not only maybe with better insulation, but also with we have a lot of windows, yep. and, and windows are really where you lose a lot of the of the efficiency in the, in the house. So, so it's um, I would say very very obviously that the European Union will bring legislation, and and of course this zero building. Legislation is already very much that the windows have to be uh, leak tight and, and it's dynamic glass will play a big role there. Hi, Philip here. As you might have noticed from the episode title, this is the first part of a two-part interview where Jacinto explained the technical details of the transparent photovoltaic cells. In the second part, he will then explain what the differences are between academic and customer-focused development, where they learned the business skills and how he manages his time between his professor position and his company. In other actually rather exciting news, you can now also find the podcast on Twitter with at DeepTechPod. I'm actually quite surprised um, that no one else got the tag so far. And you will also find the other socials in the show notes. So we'll see each other again in two weeks.